there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I, of course, am Mr. Warren Hayes. Thank you very much for popping in to listen to me talk about professional wrestling, essentially, for a couple of hours or so, right here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast application. You already know the rigmarole at this point. If you're listening, watching this, to this, watching at this, watching towards this, <laughs> YouTube. If you're if you're consuming this podcast on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes, do consider leaving a like and a subscription if it's your first time here. You know, I I can work for your subscription. That's not a big deal. And I, you know, I'll make sure. Give this a try. And if you like it, subscribe. You'll get all sorts of great extra content. Not only the Mr. Warren Hayes show proper, but I also do AEW Dynamite and Collision Reviews every Thursday and Sunday, respectively, as well. So you'll be getting all of those on top of that. Plus, you'll help the channel grow. You'll help the channel grow, and that's a big deal for me. It always helps out. Just as if you leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or five-star ratings on Spotify, if you're listening to this in audio format on your favorite podcast application. Again, all things that help out tremendously and that I appreciate in advance. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's always a lot of stuff going on in the Mr. Warren Hayes community because we even have our own Discord if you want to come Join in, talk some pro wrestling. The link is in the description. We're a cool group of people and we'd love to have you with us. It'd be our pleasure to have you with us uh, on top of everything that you already do here. You know, it's my little way to say thanks. Come join like-minded people who enjoy pro wrestling, basically. Uh, And yeah, pro wrestling. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we're going to recap the G1 Climax 33. Uh, I, you know, I did a whole... If you're already subscribed to the channel, you've probably seen everything that I've done. All of my daily recaps for the G1 um, were done. And tonight, I'm recapping the finals, the final night of the G1, plus a bit of a post-mortem, overall thoughts of the entire tournament. Uh, so that'll be part of it. We're talking about CM Punk and his treehouse that he holds in collision. And, you know, he's kicking people out. He doesn't want people in and so on. We're going to try and make sense of everything that happened and give you some thoughts on top of that. Plus, we'll be previewing some big shows coming up this weekend over from New Japan and Impact, specifically the All-Star Junior Festival in Philadelphia on Saturday and the Multiverse of Matches 2, the joint pay-per-view between New Japan and Impact. That's going to be this Sunday. So, lots of stuff to talk about. Thank you for being here. Let's get right to it. Let's kick off the weekly wrestling inspection. We're starting tonight talking about everyone's favorite, CM Punk. Specifically, we're going to talk about, you know, basically what happened just over the course of a day. It feels like it's something that happened, like, the weight of it feels like this has been going on for days. But this all really came together like yesterday as I'm recording this on a Tuesday like on a Monday and I was I was you know thinking about this you know I did the, I did the collision review this week you know and I already spent some time talking about CM Punk and I was like man it's been a while since I haven't had you know multiple thoughts on a CM Punk thing because basically I was griping about CM Punk on uh, you know this week because he seems to be just like 
throwing feuds with people right and left and even getting into feuds without you know people knowing you know, uh, <laughs> you know oh you or you're in a program with me in your in your head cannon you know uh, you know, like he's fighting, you know, he's feuding with Ricky Starks and he's feuding with Jay White and he's feuding with Samoa Joe and he's feuding with MJF. And then he's got the, you know, his, you know, his, his, his head wrapped around, you know, uh, um, a hangman page, right? So he's throwing stuff everywhere. So, you know, I was basically sitting around going, okay, well, who is he feuding with? Who's feuding with, with who's feuding with CM Punk today kind of thing? That's what we talked about. And I was like, you know, I'm, I was assuming it's like, well, look, this is kind of tame as far as CM Punk material goes. Well, boy, oh boy, did I get my wish because uh, there were there were a there were a bunch of reports from multiple outlets, wrestling outlets, uh, basically, you know, the, the coming out to talking about how he was uh, protecting his uh, little treehouse. You know how he was saying, you know, no dummies allowed. Hanging up, hanging up signs on the doors and got a um, got a report from the uh, well, this was actually two days ago when this kind of started come to think of it right wasn't this like at uh, yeah, it was on the 13th we're the 15th today so it has been going over like two days okay so I'm, I'm not crazy <laughs> um Voices of Wrestling had uh, had some uh, some news, had some reporting coming out here, following uh, following the uh, the events that happened on uh, on uh, Collision on Saturday, of course, talking about the the promo that CM Punk did in front of a live crowd. Uh, they had the they have the uh, the transcript here. I'll just read it, just like just to make sure that we're completely filled you know, up to date on the context and why we're talking about this. He cuts a promo after the show goes off the air. And he looks at a sign in the crowd and he says, look at this. Carolina is hangman country. Earlier today, I went to a local supermarket and I figured out I figured out why they call him hangman. Because the pegs in the toy, in the toy aisle are full of hangman action figures because nobody wants to buy them. He's a peg warmer unlike me who moves merchandise and pops ratings and sells toys. Now, when I did my review, uh, my collision review, and I, and I talked about this, I said, you know, this, this is kind of corny. You know, who talks like this? You know, I was even saying, look, this is absolutely a heel promo. I know a lot of people were going nuts. Oh, he's taking shots at Adam Page. And I was like, are these shots? Are these shots? Because really, who cares? Why are wrestlers in the ring talking like podcasters? Why are they talking about moving merchandise, moving merch, pop, popping ratings, and then talking about selling toys? Like, what is it? Like, the, to me, it read just as a good old-fashioned heel promo, and I was like, and and I'm on record I, on Sunday, and I was saying, look, to me, this is a sign that things might be thawing out. Well, okay, maybe, maybe not. But the promo was meant to be a work, okay? This was not a shoot. Uh, and this was CM Punk trying to just get a rise out of Elite fans, which is what he did. It wasn't planned. But, per, but Punk's long-term plan, of course, just to make sure that we're all clear, is to continue 
on him being a uh, uh, a heel. That's that's the direction. That's what he wants to do. Currently, creative is having him be a babyface, but CM Punk wants to be a heel. That's what he wants to do. So, as we found about found out about you know, was, we got some backstage information in regards to this. Um, the uh, we, then we got you know then uh, we we got the information in regards to this, and then it was like okay. So it's even stated here as we as we uh, we read about this, there has been no fallout backstage. There is there's no heat essentially, right? However, and yesterday, this is what we get. A follow-up to this report. Following up on our report, this is again from Voices of Wrestling. Following up on our report regarding the CM Punk promo directed at Hangman Page this past Saturday in Greensboro, we have been told that CM Punk has apologized to Page directly via text message. Punk also claims he had nothing to do with Hangman Page being sent away from the building on Saturday and has told people that he had known Page and he, and has told people that he that he knew Page was in the building that had he known excuse me I can't read and had and had and has told people that had he known Page was in the building he would have attempted to speak to him towards building a potential program what are we talking about exactly? Well, this is let let's cue in Dave Meltzer here. He confirmed that this the, the whole thing was not storyline or anything like that, but he added this information to his daily update. Page was actually sent to Greensboro on Saturday to do a pre-tape interview backstage for Wednesday's Dynamite show, and when he got there. He was told that they would have to do it away from the Coliseum and not go to the show. He was not booked to appear on Collision itself. Interesting. Let's keep this story rolling. A little later on, Sean Ross Sapp over at Fightful confirmed in a Fightful Select post that Ryan Nemeth, the Hollywood hunk, was brought in as well then immediately sent home on Saturday. So he was flown into Greensboro and then was told to hit the bricks. Apparently, there had been a little bit of an altercation, confrontation, discussion, call it what you want, with CM Punk in the prior weeks. Really? Oh, oh, really? Dave did a, a hopped on Wrestling Observer Radio and he doubled down on a lot of stuff here. Listing that Matt Hardy and Christopher Daniel were also people who were, who were turned away from collision. Dave notes that Daniels is the head of talent relations and it happened to him. Brian said that it, it happened to Ryan Nemeth not once or twice. Um, and we're, you know, Dave emphasizes significantly that this is not an angle, that this is not all just storylines. This is stuff that is absolutely happening. 
So then, you know, everyone, Dave says, in the terms of people who've been blocked from collision, they believe punk is the reason. Everyone believes that his punk is the quote that Dave had there. Dave feels that there's a, not a lot of plausible deniability on this one, as the guys were, were outright booked for collision, traveled to cities, and then someone finds out you're in the local hotel, and all of a sudden you're told, quote unquote, don't come to the building. Interesting. Now, why would why would uh, CM Punk t tell Ryan Nemeth to hit the bricks? Right? Any of these people? Well, we can turn to the pro wrestling torch here by with Wade Keller, who basically said that um, that uh, at uh, at the Dynamite where CM Punk. Um, when Punk made an unadvertised appearance at the uh, June 21st Dynamite, he confronted Ryan Nemeth backstage over a tweet that Nemeth made. Now, what tweet is that are we referring to? Oh, it's the tweet that Nemeth uh, put out there, posted, saying, literally the softest man alive which was in response to CM Punk, you know, saying uh, something to the effect, you know, everyone here is uh, the, the only people who are softer than you. The only the only individuals who are softer than you people here are the wrestlers you cheer for. Right. Something to that effect. So, no, no, no. Like CM Punk is, has not been gotten here. So he confronted him. Um, and uh, and uh, according to. The torch's sources. Um, Punk confronted Nemeth in the locker room. The story conveyed is that Punk cornered Nemeth in the locker room, got inches from his face, and angrily and aggressively asked if they had a problem or if they needed to settle things outside. Punk cited to Nemeth that his comments on Twitter inflamed existing tensions and that the optics of the tweet sent a bad message. This incident was witnessed by numerous wrestlers and was characterized as awkward and weird. Nemeth moved the argument to the hallway where Punk continued to berate him, according to our sources, our being the torch. Nemeth defended his judgment in calling Punk, quote unquote, soft, since Punk fired the first shots at the Bucks. Punk pushed back that this that his timing was bad and worked against the public image they were going for that everyone was either on the same page or at least not inflaming prior issues yes you know cm punk guy who wants everyone to be on the same page but tries to make a clear distinction between the collision and the dynamite locker rooms i start a little editorializing yeah maybe a little bit let's continue damn that then i cm punk if he shouldn't react to things Punk says on TV, and Punk said that'd be the right choice at that time. They shook hands, but apparently the tension was still high as they went their separate ways. So clearly, this was not, this was not uh, 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 all settled up. Every, not everything here was, 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 was cute and fun. I'll tell you, look, here's the thing. Like, in the meantime, the Young Bucks, right? In the meantime, the Young Bucks are absolutely the smartest men in the room. They're staying quiet in all of this. 
Not saying a peep. Now, all of this is going around. We've got the report that, you know, and a lot of these, a lot of these things here that the torch is putting out, that uh, Dave is putting out, and, you know, uh, Voices of Wrestling, the flagship as well. They're, they're all corroborating. Everything's coming together. Now, as all of this goes on, things continue. Now, of course, the punk camp responds. And where does the punk camp respond? Well, using good old Nick Hausman of the House of Wrestling, who wrote this, quote, We have confirmed that at least two of these men not being backstage at Collision stem from issues with CM Punk. Notably, Christopher Daniels' involvement in the post-AEW all-out altercation was specifically portrayed to us as the reason the Fallen Angel is not a collision. Since Ace Steel, Punk's good friend, was also involved in the altercation but not allowed to return backstage for collision, Punk is said to feel the same way about Daniels and does not want him backstage either. Now I'm going to pause here, okay? We're, I'm going to pause from the you know, going down the rest of the timeline here and sort of going through all these weeds because I think this is significant here. And we have to talk about it. First of all, uh, Ace Steel, Ace Steel got physically involved and was fired. They tossed his ass. They hired him back nice and quietly, gave him a job, you know, and it's like, okay, and he can be backstage, fine. Christopher Daniels was indeed, as you recall, involved in the, the fight after the all-out presser, but... He was, uh, you know, he was said to just tr be trying to keep people apart, as far as we know. He was suspended the time that this investigation that they were doing was supposed to be happening. Plus, as you know, a lot of people have mentioned here, is uh, he's head of talent relations. That's what we've been told, right? So there's something extremely weird about you being a talent. I, you know, I don't care who you are, but being a talent, telling one of the, you know, the head of talent relations, hey, you can't come in here. I'm sending you home. Yeah, I we I don't want you here because, you know, tit for tat, my boy is not allowed here. So, you know, you being one of the Jackson's boys, boy, I should say, um, you, you know, because the California guys all, you know, they all look out for each other, of course, the SoCal dudes, um, they, uh, you know, he, you're not welcome here either. It's like, okay, holy shit. Um, I know a lot of people lost their mind. I know a lot of people lost their mind when they heard, like, you know, and I myself, you know, this is the head of talent relations. What are we even doing here? You know, kind of thing. But it turns out, you know, I, this this may be something that might be a little overblown. And I can't, from what I've been hearing in my hunts and whatnot, you know, is that Christopher Daniels, yes, does work in a capacity with talent, specifically booking talent to come into Ring of Honor when they were doing Dark, you know, he'd be doing a lot of that. Um, that's the role essentially he has. I guess they call it talent relations, but it's really unclear as to how significant a position he really does hold in the company because there's a lot of people who say, all Daniels, do, all Daniels does is bring in local talent when we need local talent and books people on Ring of Honor. That's essentially what he does. Unsigned talent, to be clear. Take it for what you take it for what you for 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 how for how you feel about it. You know, take it for what it is. I should say. Um, 
you know, this it, it's a very iffy thing. It's something that I was very shocked about. But, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who I trust who are saying, hey, you know what? And maybe this, you know, maybe his own position is being a little overblown here. Like, okay. All right. We're going to leave it as such for now. Um, as for now, we're going to continue back to the uh, uh, the Nick Hausman report here, uh, where he's uh, sticking up for the punk camp. Excuse me. Um, as for Nemeth, he says, we have also confirmed his comments on Twitter, where he called Punk the quote unquote softest man alive from his now deactivated account, did him no favors, and is the reason he was asked to leave Collision. Punk is said to not be looking for any drama backstage at Collision and felt Nemeth's previous comments showed his willingness to unnecessarily stir the pot in the locker room. Ah, uh, yes, CM Punk, who does not, who shies away from drama, who is adverse to making situations blow up because of his, you know, insecurities or paranoia, whatever you want to call it. Yes, 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 yes. He does want to keep all the drama queens away. Don't want anyone stirring the pot in this delicate ecosystem that is the collision locker room. Straight edge sweetheart, yeah. And then, well, so that's the gist of the, the Hausman report. And then at the end of the day, Voices of Wrestling came in and corroborated a lot of this stuff and even got some more information. They had this, they, they, they had, they got information from a source who, 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 um, who spoke, who, who CM Punk spoke to. And this is the quote that came out of this. I, I being CM Punk, I 100% am the reason Nick, uh, that the reason Nemeth and Daniels were sent home. So he's, He's, you know, taking responsibility for it. He's like, yeah, I, absolutely. It's on me. I made that happen. There's longstanding. This is what this is from the, the Voice of Wrestling Report. Uh, there is longstanding heat with Nemeth. Daniels is one of a handful of people who made it a point to avoid punk at Forbidden Door, which also included the Bucks, Jack Perry, Matt Hardy, and Britt Baker. So that heat is not something new to anyone internally. So apparently this had been going on for a while with, with Christopher Daniels, um, which again, sort of, look, if you're the head of talent relations and you are purposefully avoiding other talent, it's a little weird, don't you think? Don't you think it's a little weird to be going around calling yourself head of talent relations and you're absolutely positively 100% trying to avoid certain people? So that sort of corroborates it sort of sticks to this idea that i heard that uh danielson's uh, not danielson's daniel's position christopher daniel's position might be a little overblown might be a little something you know that we're you know we're 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 looking too much into here it could be it could be um 
And, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people were surprised to see Matt Hardy. Why was Matt Hardy in this? It was, well, Matt Hardy is a friend of the Bucks. Like, you know, if there's a guy who is in the elite camp, it's, it, it's going to be him. And a lot of people were surprised to hear Britt Baker as well being involved in this. Just saying, you know, I want to stay away. Look, Britt just might want to not... Look, you telling me there's not enough drama with the women's locker room in AEW that she needs to start getting involved in CM Punk shit? No, if I were her... I would absolutely steer clear. You're like, look, here's the thing. This always seems bigger than it is. This always seems bigger than it is. Because at the same time, you know, a lot of what we hear is most people are unaligned. Most people in the company are neutral and they just want to go to work. They just want someone to, to point and go, here, you're coming, you're going there, you're going there, we're doing this. Here's a microphone, do a cut a promo. Like, that's what they want. And they don't care about all this bullshit. So it might just be that. Why is Britt Baker involved? I couldn't tell you. What's her what's her angle? Haha, <laughs> here. Like, anyway. She did comment, if you recall. After the uh, the gripe bomb, she did comment that she found the whole situation embarrassing, right? Isn't that the word she used? Anyway, following up on our report, this is still the Voice of Wrestling article. Uh, following up on our report regarding the CM Punk promo directed at Hangman Page this past Saturday in Greensboro, we have been told that CM Punk has apologized to Page directly via text message. We've already covered that. Punk also claims he had nothing to do with Hangman Page being sent away from the building on Saturday and has told people that had he known Page was in the building, he would have attempted to speak to him to work towards building a potential program. So we're all, we're, this is stuff we've talked about. We're all, we're all rehashing it, recovered just to make sure everything is okay. Here's some interesting uh, tidbits here. Punk was not happy with the content or the delivery of his promo, regretting taking the promo in a non-kayfabe direction, inciting things like ticketed merchandise sales before flubbing a kayfabe line that was meant to refer to hitting the elite with go-to-sleeps. He, you know, he tried to take his promo somewhere and he flubbed. Punk's intent is, is to keep the flame alive for an elite feud, something of which there is still zero indication that the Young Bucks or Hangman Page are interested in whatsoever. Punk is telling people that he had nothing to do with Matt Hardy being booked for a recent collision and then later being told not to come. Now it seems Punk regrets taking the promo in a non-kayfabe direction and citing things like merchant ratings and toy sales and flubbed it and blamed it on, blamed it on being rocked during the match. So there we go. This is where we're at. Oh, and then today we find out that Jack Perry is also, you know, also does not want anything to do with CM Punk because, and this is like, this is pure pro wrestling nonsense where Jack Perry was booked on a collision a few weeks ago. And it's not even news. Like it's not even new things. It's an old story that's being dug up today. That's being, that's being put on the record. They got Jack Perry saying, you know, I, that, that he wanted to, to take a bump on, um, 
on some real glass. Like through some 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 real glass. And everyone was telling him don't do it. The producers were telling him don't do it. Even Tony Schiavone, goddammit, was telling him don't do it, but he wanted to do it. So someone went to CM Punk and told them to step in, say this is a bad idea. And CM Punk came over and said, Yeah, this is a bad idea. And apparently, Jack threw a fit and everyone got really, really mad. And uh, and he went home like he didn't do the collision thing at all. And oddly enough, like shortly thereafter came this this document, right, of uh, what you need to be what you need to have cleared by producers and, you know, by referees and medical staff. You, you remember that bit, you know, with the list of moves and things that you can and cannot do the band moves and then the moves that you need to have cleared right uh, that came shortly after that huh coincidence see and so look that's a whole other thing you know look <laughs> this is where we're at right now and we're, we're we're back in another situation where CM Punk is just stirring shit and it's just uh, it's just happening. Look, there is no reason to take sides in this, okay? And I hope there's no reason for you and I to take sides in this. We don't know any of these people. We don't know any of these people. Um, we're privy to whatever gets leaked for whatever reason, right? The Jack Perry stuff got leaked today because it, uh, let's be honest, it, it sh portrays CM Punk and he good light and i myself go okay good on him for being the sensible veteran talking down the young upstart telling him this is not a good idea and this is not going to fly because i what a stupid idea you know it's like but punk was like you know that like they're it, it, you know i saw people was like well oh well it doesn't change the facts no it doesn't necessarily change anything you know you one is not exclusive to the other. I can be objective enough to recognize, like, you know what? This was probably a good idea because maybe maybe Punk saying to... Because he said something to the effect, if my memory is right, from what I read, because, look, I've been reading so much shit in this regard. Um, if I remember correctly, he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you just want to do that because you want to take a week off to rest, right? Something, And I'm like, that is, like, that's wrestler brain right there. That's absolute wrestler brain brain where you're so maybe that's going a little too far but nonetheless it is a good call it is a good call for the veteran to come in and say look this is not a good idea we should not do this it's not worth it you know whatever and if the and if the young guy gets mad let the young guy get mad like who gives a shit right but despite the fact that i think cm punk did you know did a good did a solid here i can look at the rest of this and like this is all bullshit because it is how you doing, Ovion Radion? Nice to see you and welcome. Because it is all bullshit. And it's bullshit. It's bullshit all around. And I don't want to give the impression that, that like I'm firmly in the elite side. It's like, yeah, I'm an apologist. You know, the Bucks are babies too in this situation, right? Is the Bucks like, no, we're not going to talk. No, we don't want to talk. We don't want to talk. Maybe they're being fucking smart too. Like when I see things like this, I'm, I look at this and I'm like, Maybe they're the smartest guys in the room right now where they're just, just like no selling everything, completely ignoring it 
And then at some point they're going to reemerge when the time bomb that is CM Punk just goes kablooey once again, right? And then they'll come out and be like, mm -mm, act as if and nothing happened. And that's, you know. But nonetheless, like right now, in the way things are set in these tensions, they have their part in this as well. Like a lot of people seem to think that CM Punk, and we've talked about this before. There's a lot of people who seem to think that CM Punk asked to have collision, but that's not quite how it went. Oh, it, it, the, having his own two hours of programming every week was not a CM Punk decision. This was a, an, a, a compromise to accommodate certain other people. So, you, like, everyone in, the, in, 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 in this situation is just like, you know, is it, it, just like nuts. Now, sure, right? Punk apologized to Paige, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, look, CM Punk apologized to, to Adam Page. Adam Page needs to... <laughs> he apologized for being kicked off of Collision. He didn't apologize for every other shitty thing. That's not what the apology was. That's the first thing. Second thing, because uh, CM Punk didn't, is not a... He doesn't look glorious in this situation in regards to everything that he's been saying, going off script, shooting essentially on, on Page. He apologized to Paige, but the good thing about an apology is that you don't have to accept it. <laughs> I mean, just because someone just because someone apologizes doesn't mean you have to accept it. If someone runs over my dog and they come to me and they're like, "Man, I'm so sorry. Are we good?" I'm like, "No, we're not fucking good. This is a residential district." It's 30 kilometers an hour. You were coming down at 70. You ran over my fucking dog, you lunatic. I'm not accepting your apology. See? That's easy. So, Paige is in no obligation to accept anything, right? But why is it... Why is it that, you know... Put, put yourself in hangman's shoes. This Listen... Put yourself in hangman's shoes here. You get called into work. You fly in. You arrive. Then you get turned away. You said, yeah, you, you get told to yourself, yeah, what we're going to do, we're going to go do this somewhere else. All in the meantime, you've got someone in the ring cutting a promo on you, insulting you because he's running this, like, this program in his headcanon. He's got a feud with you in his headcanon. But you're not in on it. He's in on it. He's completely in on it. But you're not. And he's running there talking about, you know, how you're, you know, your toys don't sell and you're a schmuck. Why would you believe when you're, you're there with your phone, you receive the text message and say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, for what happened at collision. Why would you even consider that to be in good faith? If we're being honest with each other. Does that make sense? I feel like it makes sense. I'm not saying that this is what happened. I'm just saying, you know, Hangman is in no position. I don't feel like he's his back is against the wall. And he needs to accept this apology when everything that Punk has done, specifically in his regard, has been in tremendous bad faith. Call 
calls him out on a, on a, on a dynamite. Calls him out on a dynamite. Calls him a coward. Tells him to come out. But Hangman Page doesn't come out because it's not scheduled. Because CM Punk went off script. Went into business for himself. Then does an interview with Sports Illustrated where he calls him out again. And, you know, and insults him there on in writing as well. And he's like supposed to believe, oh man, I'm so sorry. No, he ain't. To a degree, I understand why Paige is like, oh, fuck this guy. He needs to show some real good faith here because I ain't seeing it. And why is it that CM Punk gets the crossover to Dynamite? And then people come over and, oh, nope. Got to protect the sanctity of my little treehouse. He's very protective of his locker room. He's, trust me on this. He is very, very protective of his locker room. Make no mistake. Collision is his show. He does indeed have his hands in everything. And apparently wrestlers say the vibe is great. And not as hectic as on Wednesdays. You know? Uh, but, you know, still not perfect. What locker room is? And, it, you know, the setup is not perfect. The execution is not perfect. The show itself, look, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised at the amount of stuff that gets tossed into the hands of wrestlers 15 to 30 minutes before they go on. Kevin, I was like, okay, what are we doing? I have a promo segment. I have, a, you know, what am I supposed to say? What, what, what's the deal? What are we doing? And it's like 15, 30 minutes beforehand. You'd be surprised. You'd be shocked, I think. You know, we hear talk about WWE scripts being torn up last minute and then everything getting rearranged. I'll tell you what. Anyway. But throughout all of this, and this is the larger point here, throughout all of this, all of this can stop. All of this, because... We had all anticipated that something like this was going to happen the minute we started hearing that CM Punk was going to return, right? What have I been telling you all? It's not a question of if CM Punk blows up again, it's a question of when. Now we came close again. We're, you know, everything that happens here, everyone sort of goes, okay, here we are. It's, we're not even surprised. It's more of a question of, oh, it's happening. It didn't blow up exponentially. This isn't the, the blow up, don't get me wrong. But it's still something significant that happened, right? So listen, so it's all a question of when it's going to happen as opposed to if it's going to happen. And when they decided to split the shows and have CM Punk tucked all the way over here so that the, the elite could be all the way over here, uh, <laughs> the thing, right? The, the, like the, the, the thing that came through here that we all observed, that we, we, we I, most pundits, analysts, observers, wink, wink, would would agree that this situation would be untenable, that it would not fix a thing. And yet here we are, and things have not are are, are clearly not better, and it's still not simple, and there's still bad faith. There's still people getting mad. There's still resentments. There's still drama, despite 
Phil shying away from drama, not wanting drama to taint his perfect little utopia. No, no, no. There's still stuff happening because of this split, because of the divide. Whoever thought the Berlin Wall was a good idea? Am I right? Go back and read your history books, kids. All of, but nonetheless, all of this could be stopped if someone in charge of the company put their foot down and said, all of this bullshit ends now. All of this stops now. We're not doing, uh, we're not doing splits. We're not doing this nonsense. No one is sending people home without me knowing. And who is this guy? Who could, who possibly, in all elite wrestling, who possibly could do this? The owner, maybe? The owner, general manager, president, head of creative, you know, how many, how many titles he gives himself? Tony Khan, Tony Khan is the guy. And there is a clear lack of leadership, high level leadership in this situation. If you are letting the inmates run the asylum, which is a term I have not used to describe a wrestling locker room in 20 odd years, 25 years maybe, 26. This is it. I mean, look, I, it can't be any clearer than this. There is so much responsibility in this situation. So much blame for all of this shit that happened over the past 24 to 48 hours that you can absolutely point your finger at one man and say, this is all your fault because you didn't tell your boy to shut up at a press conference when he was trashing executives of the company saying they couldn't manage a target. Because you didn't say a fucking word. From that point on, it had been it's become clear that Tony doesn't have that kind of sway. Now, this is there's precedent for this in professional wrestling. You know, if anything, you can draw very you can you can draw very uh, uh, cogent comparisons to Vince McMahon and 1996 Shawn Michaels, right? Where HBK just ran rampant and did whatever the hell he wanted. It was his thing. And he got, how many repercussions did, did HBK get? How many times was he, was he sent home? How many? Zero. Vince loved him. And I think it's fantastic that we're drawing comparisons to, from, you know, to CM Punk, that we're drawing comparisons between CM Punk and HBK when CM Punk is a Brett guy, I think the irony is all the more delicious here. As long as TK leaves things the way they are, there will this potential will always be there. These people are all supposed to show up in Wembley in a couple of weeks. They're supposed to take a transatlantic flight. Hopefully, People will be smart enough to not put all of these people on the same flight. 
But this will never go away as long as we have this split. And we're talking about CM Punk with, with because CM Punk is the most public guy of them all because the Bucks are being mums the word on it. But Tony could be sitting down with his executive branch, right? And telling them, no, you guys have to work this shit out. You know, I'm too old for this. But for real, there is, and, and, and right now, the perception of his, of his uh, company is suffering about it, uh, because of it, and, and, and I think ultimately it can cause much more severe damage than what we're seeing right now. I really do, because we dodged a bullet with the grape bomb, but the flames are still there. It's not just smoldering embers. Like, people are still mad, people are still pissed, and now we're blocking people out of shows because CM Punk is in control of his own little uh, his own little thing. And I know people are annoyed. Listen, I'm going to close this off on this because my point on, on Tony Khan, I think, is clear. But one last thing. I know people are annoyed. A lot of people, I should say, are annoyed uh, in regards to talking about CM Punk. It's like, can we stop talking about CM Punk? You know what, Warren? Yes, what? You know what, Warren? What? Well, only very online people understand all the shit that's going on and care. Oh, yeah. You know, people who just watch the shows don't know what's going on. Okay. All right. Fair, fair. Let me, let me um, counterpoint that. I think, I think Ryan Nemeth being and Christopher Daniels being blocked uh, from being on collision. That's quote unquote, very online stuff. I agree with that. But to say that the CM Punk dramas and all of that only affect very online people or very online people are the only people who are aware of it. I think that's false because it affects the program that everyone watches, whether you're on X, or you know, discords or whatever, and you're following all of this, it doesn't matter if you're online or not because the product you watch is affected. Why were the elite off of television for five, four or five months? Because of this nonsense. Why was CM Punk off until June? Because of this nonsense. Why is there two shows? Why are there people that are only going to be on Collision but not on Dynamite and vice versa because of all of this shit? So it's not just all very online people who are affected by this. The product is, di is directly affected by all of this nonsense. And the reason why we talk about it is because, yeah, shit, this has to be brought up and it has to be documented so that when things really go to hell in a handbasket, we can be like, hey, we, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. We've seen this coming. We're all talking about it. So it's not just nerds. It's not just message board nonsense. It's not just angry Twitter accounts. It's not all, somewhat, yes. But if, if the product on television was completely uh, 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 independent of what was going on, I would be one in 100% agreement, but it's not. It's directly affecting what you're watching. Directly, directly affecting what you're watching. So, 
We're not done. We're not done talking about CM Punk. I'm telling you. And of course, we're starting shit two weeks before a big show, right? This is always how it goes. So, to be continued. And now, it's time to talk about the G1 Climax 33 over from New Japan Pro Wrestling. We are going to wrap it all up. I went through, look, when I say wrap it all up, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the finals. We're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to chat about stuff that happened. Look, this is going to be more of a postmortem because I did um, daily, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I did daily reviews uh, for, uh, for the G1 this year. So I covered every day of the G1, every night of the G1. Didn't miss a single one except for the finals because I said the finals, we're going to do it tonight. So if you want like really to go through the entire thing, match by match, night by night, the content is all still there, wonderfully accessible and, 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 and there for you all. And thank you to everyone who took the time to take a look and, uh, and I don't know if you, um, I don't know if you watched, uh, you know, my content, my, 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 my reviews alongside you watching the G1 and, you know, sort of like to, uh, you know, continue on the experience, I guess, of the G1, or if you were keeping up thanks to me, or if you were following my recommendations or, you know, any kind of combination of any uh, of all of that. Um, thank you. Like, thank you very much. And uh, it worked out pretty well. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for watching them all. And um, for those of you who did, such as those in the chat right now, and, uh, and, and I will most likely do that again next year uh, because, uh, because it was a lot of fun. It was a good way to keep up with everything. And you know what? It was, what made it easier was a pretty good G1. But before we get into all of that, um, let's finish up the finals. Let's finish up the... Uh, uh, let's finish up with the uh, with the finals that happened on August 13 at uh, Sumo Hall in Tokyo. The attendance for the uh, you know I didn't made a I didn't make a point as much to talk about attendance during my 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 my, my daily my daily reviews. Maybe that's something I'll do different next year. But the attendance for uh, for the finals was 8,283 people, which is fantastic it's a great number and it is by far the biggest attendance of the entire g1 on top of that um the because and, and it, it's good because new japan um new japan kind of struggled i would say a little bit in regards to um uh, you know in regards to the uh to, to getting people in the buildings you know I mean, look, Sumo Hall is a, you, look, for, for the finals, you couldn't have asked for a better venue. You couldn't have asked for a better crowd. That crowd was into the entire show, but overall, you know, there were some great crowds, but overall, a, a bit of a struggle. And we are a far cry from, uh, from attendances pre-pandemic for, for, uh, for New Japan, um, like if we take a look here, when I say if we take a look, if we examine, the, take a look at the numbers is what I'm trying to say. You know, the the 
in in um, in 2019, let's say we you know 2019 was the last uh, G1 that was before uh, the COVID pandemic. You know their opening night, which was in the same arena in Hokkaido. Um, this year we well okay this year we did 3,145 reported. Uh, in the uh, in the venue, six thousand nine hundred and forty-six. Same venue, same place. Then the Knicks, but you know, nonetheless, an increase from uh, nonetheless an increase from last year, right? Because you know, you sort of expected everything to to open up a little more. But I think many of us, myself, you know. I think myself, we I sort of expected numbers to skyrocket a little higher. I thought that I th I figured that the first G one after with all restrictions lifted, you know, no more silent crowds, no more half clapping, half cheering, you know, the, you know, uh, full full open venues. I would have figured that everyone would have rushed a little more to it, but that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, we're still very much uh, we're we're a ways off. You know, like, it, you know, the Cork and Hall numbers this year, while very good, 1,400 both nights, 1,471 on uh, on um, July 25th, and 1,472, uh, you know, we might demand a recount here, um, you know, the, in at the same, in the same uh, venues two years ago, for the same back-to-back -back shows, 1,726 on the first night, 1,725 on the second. So, you know, Corican is not the biggest venue, but there is a lot of standing room. And it, you know, the Corican faithful are exactly that. You know, the, I'm not going to go through the entire history of Corican and, and its significance and whatnot, but, the, you know, nonetheless, this is what the... Um, this is what the setup, you know, the, the the setup two years ago was bigger, you know, and last year we did thirteen hundred and twelve and thirteen hundred and twenty three on both nights in in, in Corican. So you know, an increase, but not as spectacular as a few years ago. And you know, it's pretty much the story. Look in Osaka, we had five thousand five hundred and fifty five people on the, on both nights in Osaka. We had 3,150 on the night one here in 2023 and 3,275 on the second night. Which is wild. And we finished off at, uh, you know, Sumo Hall. Look at the attendance that we were doing. You know, the the the... The three nights of the finals, basically, we were doing in 2019. We did the Budokan three nights in a row, back to back to back. 9,641 on the on the first night on August 10th, 9,821 on the second on the second night, 12,014 on the third night. We did two nights in Sumo Hall this year, 6,579 on night one, 8,283 on night two. Wow. You know, there's just there's weird things that happened. You know, like there's a night in 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 Nagano that actually drew less than in the pandemic last year on the same date, same venue. 
Osaka, August, August 5th, 3,150 in 2023. Last year, with restrictions and whatnot, drew more, 3,370. It's not that big a difference, but it is still a difference. So I don't know how business-wise, how it went, but if anything, I look at how things played out. You get your biggest venue of the entire tournament, which is, of course, the finals, which it should be. And who are you putting up there? You're putting up two top guys, your top guy and the most popular guy in the company. And you draw 8,000, the, the biggest gate of the entire tournament, but still not big enough to, 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 to resemble, to go back to pre-pandemic numbers. New Japan is in reconstruction. You know, that's the thing. That's what everyone is saying. And it's the same thing for all Japanese wrestling promotions right now. It's the same thing in Puro everywhere. Everyone is sort of banding together. That's why they're doing joint shows. That's why they're doing a lot of collaborations, a lot of talent exchange, so that everyone can sort of benefit, right? You're right you know, when the tide rises, all boats float up as well. I can never remember what that expression is, but you get the idea. I can never remember what... You know, and I always want to use it. And I'm like, wait, what is it again? I don't know. So, you know, I, look, I'm absolutely not here to tell you all that this is a disaster. It's not a disaster. And it is improving. You know, attendance overall in New Japan is improving, right? Um, look, it... it you know the 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 the, um, the 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 average attendance from January to August, like overall, compared to in in twenty twenty two, the average attendance was one thousand three hundred and fifty two people over one hundred and forty events. Okay, we have a hundred events in New Japan, and the average is two thousand fifty seven. Well, that's significant. That's that's a big difference. But if we go back to 2019, we had 124 events, 3,961. We were almost at 4,000 average. And then it actually slipped from 2018, which where the average was 4,704 uh, people per event in attend uh, per event in average on average. Excuse me. Of course, we had done huge. Wrestle Kingdom events on top of that, like, you know, which isn't the case here, but nonetheless, you know, the G1 attendance, as opposed to last year, 2022, again, with the restrictions, we're barely up 200 people in average, on average, I should say, but with less events. So I guess that's good, but still nothing compared to 2019. See, in 2023, we did... In 2023, we did, uh, when I say we, I mean New Japan, 2,594 people per event for the entirety of the G1. 2022 was 2,407. 2019, 5,115 per night on average. 97,100 91 people in 2019 saw a new Japan, total saw a G1 climax show or paid for a ticket, I should say. 
2023, 46,698. Like, these are not great. You know, like, and when you look at it that way, So we're still not out of the woods. You know, I don't think business-wise, this is the greatest news for New Japan. Pretty sure they were hoping for better, but if everyone is in a mood that this is, okay, well, we're we're rebuilding, we're, you know, we're trying out new things, starting to push new guys. Wow. If everyone is in that mood, I guess it wasn't, you know, it was far from a disaster. You know, we're not, these are not NOAA numbers. You know, uh, Stardom had a show just a couple of nights ago in the uh, uh, in Corken Hall, and it outdrew the the G One shows. So you know, it's like all right. So it'll be interesting to see how this trend continues. You know, we could, you know, I, I you know, I think it's fair to 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 keep an eye on how New Japan is doing. It is the biggest company, you know, no one is doing really well. No one is back to pre-COVID numbers, but you know, New Japan, you would have assumed that things would have skyrocketed a little quicker. This is not the case. But let's start talking about the shows themselves or the show itself, the main event. Let's go for the main event on the final night of the G1 on, um, on August 13th where Tetsuya Naito defeated Kazuchika Okada in the finals of the G1 to win a rising tide lifts all boats. That's the expression. Thank you, chat. A rising tide lifts all boats. I think I might post that, post it and keep it right in my face. Tetsuya Naito defeated Kazuchika Okada to become your G1 Climax 33 winner in an absolutely incredible match. This crown was ready for it, they were molten. When people tell you Tetsuya Naito is the most over guy in the company, they are not kidding. You know, they say he's the most popular guy in the company. It is not, you know, it, 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 they're not blowing smoke up your ass. It is legit. People love themselves some Tetsuya Naito. And why wouldn't they? He's one of the greatest. And then at the same time, it's nuts how Kazuchika Okada is the guy. And I, it's still, no matter how many years I've been watching New Japan and I've seen Okada matches and I've seen him come out, you know, the, with, it's, there's always a moment where it just shocks me still today. Like how much of, how much that dude is the guy. Presence star power talent crowd connection everything everything he's got it all in in droves he's he's still he's still deserving of being the guy because he absolutely still is oh yeah we're gonna get to that we're going to get to that. Um, and this match, look, it starts off. They have a long feeling out period. Uh, some Naito stalling, which I always like. I always like the little Rudo of uh, Naito's uh, repertoire. 
And then the switch flips, and then Kazuchika Okada lands a DDT on the apron, and that's where, this is where the match completely changes. Beats him up a little bit, then he does a, Okada does a, you know, a foot on chest pin, right? He's standing on, he's standing, and he just puts his, his foot on the chest, and the referee doesn't want to count, and the audience, they just want, they're booing him. Kazuchika Okada, Mr. 50 years of New Japan. Let's do this together. All together, folks. We're, we're all in this together. Wear your masks. You know, we're going to make it out of the pandemic together. And he, the audience has nothing for him. They don't, they do not care for him insulting super popular babyface Tetsuya Naito. I fucking loved it. Naito, of course, works back, starts, you know, starts uh, uh, working Okada's knee, but Okada lands drop kicks. Okada starts to string some big offense together, including a tombstone on the floor, and that sends Naito clearly into the come from beneath position. Like from this point on, he is struggling from beneath, uh, and Okada continues a huge German suplex, a spinning rainmaker. Uh, Naito ducks a rainmaker, but runs into a dropkick. Like, you know, he's, he's, I don't want to say he's on the ropes, but he's getting mangled. And then he's done. He's spent. He's sandbagging Okada. The place is going nuts because they, they're rallying behind him. This babyface comeback that Naito built throughout this entire match was fucking brilliant. And when he does mount his comeback, he starts striking Okada, who's at, who asks for more. Because he's a, Okada's a bastard. Okada, uh, Okada doesn't give a shit anymore. He's ornery. He, he's, he, you know, he's just fed up of all these people. But Naito obliges. Series of brutal arm, short arm elbows. And a Frankensteiner follows. Then he starts hitting the classics. The Puma Blanca. Uh, Esperanza. Valencia. He goes for the Stardust Press. He misses because Okada rolls out of the way. And I promise you, this is a Warren Hayes guarantee. Tetsuya Naito is winning the title in the dome with the Stardust Press. Because he, try he tried to do it against uh, fucking uh, Will Ospreay and that whiffed. And he tried to do it against Okada and that whiffed. He's going to fucking land it in the dome. And that's how he's winning the belt. That's a Warren Hayes guarantee. Or, I don't know. If it doesn't happen, we'll think of something. But we're 30 minutes into an already triumphant match at this point. Naito pulls out the swing DDT pinfall he used on Tanahashi in the last night of the block. As we've seen it, and now when I saw it, it's like, oh shit! Hmm. We're in and out of moves, Rainmakers, Destinos, this place is erupting. Okada does a landslide. It's countered into a Destino. And another Destino puts Okada away. Triumphant. Triumphant. Tetsuya Naito. Merch pusher. Toy seller. <laughs> Ra ratings popper. He gets it. He gets the big win. Crowd goes nuts. Okada slinks off. Just an incredible outstanding match we do get the lij roll call at the end 
And we're going to get it in the dome too, brother. What a, but honestly, frankly, look, I've been giving you recommendations throughout the entire tournament to go watch matches on all my daily stuff. And we're going to conclude with this one here as a high level recommendation. Go watch this match. And then it's wild because, you know, I think it was the next day. I think it was the next day, right? He's, he, he, he conducts an interview with, um, he being Tetsuya Naito, he did, a, um, he, he did an interview with uh, Tokyo Sports. And that he shared that he's, he's still fucking banged up. Naito shared, I'm going to read this off of the Post Wrestling article here, postwrestling.com. Naito shared that he's dealing with right eye problems again. He underwent eye surgery in 2022. When he came back to the ring, he said he had a total of six surgeries, two of which he's chosen not to publicly disclose. disclose. And his eye is, is causing him issues again. That's not even to mention his, his knees. Prior to the G1, Naito went to Mexico to be a part of the Fantastica Mania show over there and wrestled several more CMLL events. His knee was giving him trouble and it began to swell. The pain eventually lessened and Naito went into the G1 14 days after wrapping up that tour in Mexico. Isn't that crazy? Our boy is absolutely banged up. He started, uh, he stated that things are going back to how they were pre-operation and at the age of 41, he's becoming more concerned. You know, when, um, when English commentary, and they've been pushing this narrative for, for a while, um, when English commentary talks about this might be the last opportunity for Naito to get the big dome win, uh, they ain't lying, brother. <laughs> And I think he's he kind of sees it himself, but as pointed out in the chat, Zylo Mark kill or Zylo Mark three. Excuse me, I'm blind as a bat too. I haven't had six surgeries. I even I never even had one surgery. I'm not as blind as a bat either. I just need to change my prescription for my glasses. It's really not that big a deal. As pointed out in the chat, he's banged up, but he's still delivering classics. Here's the thing with Naito's tournament, because I you know I agree. Here's the thing with this tournament is that you know. As we started getting towards the end and the matches became important and significant, uh, this was tremendous. He's, that's when he started pulling out the big stuff. That's when we start seeing, I, I, can't, I can't say Naito of old, like, well, that, you know, 2012, 2013 Tetsuya Naito, 2016 Tetsuya Naito. He doesn't exist anymore. That, 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 guy's, that, that guy is living on another timeline at this point. But we're seeing Big Match Naito come out nonetheless. Adapting his style and still being able to, as we put it here, still being able to deliver classics. And this was outstanding. One of my favorite matches of the tournament. Is it my favorite match of the tournament? Stick around. I'm going to give you my top five in a little bit. But I have no quibbles with this main event. I thought it ruled. Wrapped up the tournament perfectly. I enjoyed it tremendously. Let's talk the rest of the card. 
my favorite matches because it was your bog standard undercard you know with everyone on the car you know who did the tour in multi-person matches but eventful shit happening right and left my favorite matches if if you want to watch the undercard and watch everything like go right ahead because there's honestly there's so much stuff happening that uh you'll you'll glean some some cool things about, oh this was pretty dope but if you want a, a couple of recommendations i really like the opener which was hiroshi tanahashi eddie kingston tomohiro ishii and yo versus tenkozi Togi Makabe and Tiger Mask. I thought that was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed TMDK versus uh, Bishamon, Taguchi, and Bolton Oleg. But my favorite... My favorite match of the undercard was the LIJ Multiman. Surprise, surprise. Am I right? Shingo, Hiromu, Bushi, and Yodatsuji versus the, the United Empire group of Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan and Hinari. And as I said, there was a lot of stuff happening on this card. And let's let's go right ahead with this one. Because I think the most notable thing out of all of the numerous things that were happening on this undercard was huge Suge, Yoda Suji pinning Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay, who, in case you missed it, has rejected the U.S. component of the IWGP United States Championship and has decided to replace it with the United Kingdom. And English commentary was saying, oh no, he made this belt himself. He paid for it out of his pocket. I'm like, okay, sure. I like these kind of little angles. I think it's fun. So he's the UK-US champion. But Yoda Suji in the match gets the gets the win. Pins Osprey. My jaw drops. I'm like, okay, we're still doing this. We are still we are still looking at Mount Suji here. Let's fucking go. And at the end, there is this tremendous pose. Like tremendous pose. The camera is over Will Osprey's shoulder. And all you see is Yoda Suji at the, like, standing on the second turnbuckle. And he just has one arm raised in the air. And he has that gleam, that enormous smile. And he's just standing there. And he's just, he looks like he owns the planet. And I'm like, this is the, like, this is the guy. This is the guy that is going to carry this company for the next, for the next decade. He is unreal. I'm looking at that shot from New Japan. I paused it just so I could let it sink in a little more. I'm like, look at this guy. Ah, pure aura. It's insane. And what a fucking match this is going to be. Will Ospreay, who had a tremendous tournament, wrestler of the tournament, unquestionably, Putting guys over, getting people to wrestle great matches that have not been wrestling great matches. Just putting people into great spots each and every match. And now he's, they're, the, 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 the top brass are like, here you go. Get our, do something with our, with our big boy. Holy shit. What in a, a fucking match this is going to be.
If you don't believe, just think, of, again, just think about this. This dude, Suji, comes back in May. He is thrown into a world title program, okay? Put directly into the G1, has a, a good G1, is not, you know, part of the criteria for the finish. That, that doesn't matter. And then what's the next thing we're doing? We're putting him in a match with the greatest wrestler on the planet and a guy that New Japan has complete faith in. This, this that they know Suji's gonna come out of this and he's gonna be he's gonna be looking like a million dollars. This is ridiculous. Like this this guy has the full support of the company. He's put in LIJ, the most popular faction in the entire company. This is what you call a push. This is a push. This is not people trying to convince me intercontinental champion Ricochet got a push. No, this is a push. Also after this match, Eddie Kingston came out to brawl with Hinare, which was, uh, you know, they had already been exchanging words and so on and so forth. And uh, well, so that's simmering. It's for the open, the, the, the strong open weight title. You know, people are saying, oh, uh, Wembley, Wembley, Wembley. Yeah, but maybe Eddie Kingston should be doing other things too. Maybe AEW related as well. You don't think Eddie wants to go back to Japan? Eddie had a the time of his life. We're going to talk about this in a bit. I just want to get through this first. Um, so, so that's what happened there. Then in the main event, and the opener, I should say, uh, we had uh, we had Ishii and uh, Hiroshi Tenzan, who were head to head butting heads. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Because usually, you know, these things then develop into angles and stuff. I was like, okay. And I think I just realized, I think I'm missing him. Well, we didn't talk about, uh, uh, we didn't talk about the strong style match, but we also had a match with the strong style with um, with Nagata. Look, the, the important thing here is that uh, um, Minoru Suzuki was butting heads with uh Yuji Nagata I'm like okay like that's actually really dope that's 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 actually dope well Tenzan is an incredible shape. sure but Tenzan is stiff as a board this is you know let's get real I I I expect very little out of Hiroshi Tenzan at this at this stage anyway but he didn't he did trim trim down tremendously also we had uh, TMDK versus in the TMDK Bishamon Taguchi Bolton Oleg match match I believe it was Shane Haste who pinned Hiroki Goto so setting up Haste and uh, Mikey Nichols to be the next set of IWGP uh, tag team challengers uh, this is you know there's a lot of warming up for tag league clearly at the same time and then and then we also learn that Ichiban sweet boy Kosei Fujita is off on excursion. This was his last, like, official day as a young boy, a young lion, and there's he's off on excursion. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, they're right. There was Narita and Shooter together. I forgot to write those down. That's stupid of me. There was Narita and Shooter as well that had a thing. And Despi and Wato. 
So, um, so yeah, so, th so that's, that's something else that we learned out of this match here. So there was a bit of a farewell for him. Then we also had a, um, what do I had, I had it written down right here. What am I talking about? Um, I, I, my, my notes, I am confusing myself in my own notes tonight, which is not great, <laughs> but which is also, uh, you know, very, um, very Warren Hayes-ish. It doesn't matter. It's all in my head. Let's keep moving on. We had uh, a GOD, uh, Girl is a Destiny and ELP match versus the Bullet Club. This set up Tamatanga and David Finley for the never heavy, the never open weight title. And Hikaleo and El Fantasmo as a tag team versus the War Dogs for the strong tag team titles. I'm like, okay, that's random as hell. I guess this Hikaleo push is a thing that's happening. Okay. All right. And then um, we also had a House of Torture match versus just five guys. Uh, Evil and company put a proper beat down on Sonata in this match and they cuffed him to the ropes. This match was already set up because Evil pinned Sonata during, well, at the quarterfinals of the tournament. Um, so, uh, so evil was the next guy in line. So he'll be clearly after this beat down and the handcuffs and all that clearly evil is going to have another crack at Sonata, but this time for the IWGP world heavyweight title, uh, probably at the destruction show, most likely at the destruction show. What am I talking about? And, um, show pin Taichi in the match. So that makes him next in line for a King of pro wrestling title. Shot and uh, the the, th the stuff that I was stammering through, uh, the strong style strong style team of El Desperado, Ren Narita, and Minoru Suzuki, as well as Young Lion Yuta Nakashima, who I really like. Um, they, you know, in their match against uh, Master Wato, Shota Umino, Hanma, and Yuji Nagata, I talked about Suzuki and Nagata going at it. Um, Shota Umino and um, and Ren Narita as well, still buttonheads. They, they they have unfinished business, and uh, Master Wato and uh, and El Desperado as well were sort of getting after each other. So a lot of stuff happening on this card. A lot of matches being set up. A lot of angles being set up for the Destruction Tour, which is uh, starting up in a couple of weeks. It's going to lead us through September. Um, and the, uh, the final big defense, I believe, right? It'll be the final big defense of the IWGP title before Wrestle Kingdom in January. Jesus. When you think about it, Wrestle Kingdom is coming up real, real fast. That was for the show. As for the G1 itself, you know, if we were to wrap it up with some final, final thoughts, look, I really did enjoy the G1 this year. And it is the best one we've had since the pandemic hit and for multiple reasons. Um, just the crowds being back, full capacity, no more silence. And of course, it motivated the wrestlers. And I think there's also the motivation that everyone is like, look, the company wanted to put on great matches. We need to kick this up a notch and we're reconstructing. And what did I tell everyone when we started this one off? When we started this G1, I said it would be under the guise of unpredictability. That would be the theme. And Jesus Christ, I'll be damned. That's not what we got. It, it was a very, very unpredictable up and down G1 from top to bottom. 
which I enjoyed tremendously. I believe, like, I really liked it. I, was it last year that we got some, re that we had multiple very boring nights, right? I think this year, two, two really bad nights at the most that were really miserable. But last year, I feel, I feel like the doldrums really hit hard and no one was really into, I felt everyone was really into it. We're, look, we're a far cry from the mid-2010s G1s, right? This, like, this is not 2016. This is not 2014. But nonetheless, this is a step in the right direction. And, and one where New Japan is clearly setting the foundation for, uh, for their new era, for the new, uh, for their new, uh, 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 their new crop of guys who are going to take over for the aging parts here. Um, the three musketeers, the Rayo with three, didn't qualify. But, you know, in retrospect, I'm not surprised. Because, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is, um, this is a, you know, this, this is basically Ghetto saying, yeah, these guys, you know, they're going to be the future, so on and so forth. But it's, you know, it's not this year that it's happening, you know. Ghetto likes to take his time so that when people do, you know, they when they can sniff the victories but not quite get them, then next year, maybe one of these guys will be able to push forward and be like, yes, you know, and the others will. And then the next year may be another one. Maybe we'll do two guys, you know. So we'll see. We'll see, you know, we'll see how things go. But, you know, Gato is in no rush to get, the, you know, to... I think it would have been surprising... Okay, <coughs> excuse me. It would have been <coughs> it would have been surprising if any of the Raywa three made it to the finals, and I think it would have been surprising. But I think it's also surprising that <coughs> none of them qualified for the final for the playoffs. You know, I think that's equally surprising. But it's also a, a ghetto trope. It makes it, it makes sense in the in his patterns and how he does things. We're gonna take our time here. And, you know, I think the formula was good in how it was presented. You know, 32 people, four blocks, two blocks of action per night. made That made it easier, I find, for us to, to follow and keep up. Whereas last year, you know, you could have guys not wrestling for like 10 days. And it's like, okay, this, it, it kept the momentum up. It was easier to follow. And I love how the playoffs are handled. So winning blocks becomes less of an issue. Now, like, it's more like divisions, right? It, it's more like, you know, a league. It's actually, it feels more of a league, you know, than just, um, just you know, a, a tournament or win the block, win the block. And I was like, okay, you know, the top two guys per block. Then we go to the playoffs. I don't know. I, I, I know some people had a problem with it. And I know people, a lot of people hated the huge spread, but I liked it. Look, I liked it because my concern, and I'm sure a lot of you share that same concern, um, was with 32 people, that leaves room for, you know, the Fale types, the Yujiro types, you know, the, the guys that don't bring anything that you know are not going to win and are not going to, you know, they're going to wrestle like uh, big sacks of turnips. 
I think Kenta was in this spot this year. Overall. But there really wasn't like... And, 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 and people that maybe we thought were going to be in that spot ended up being a little more surprising. Look, Hikaleo, I had pegged as a night off guy. I'll take the L on this one. Uh, he competed till the very end. He gave it his, you know, the old college try and did the maximum. And even when it came to him, you felt like everyone had something to prove. He had something to prove and there were surprises throughout on that level. He, look, I already talked about the Ray with three musketeers not qualifying. I think that's a surprise, right? That, I, I, that's, that's absolutely a surprise. Mikey Nichols, a surprise. Mikey Nichols in the ass kicker block did exactly that. And here was, uh, this was a guy who was like, ah, he's, you know, he's going to take some L's. He's a, the tag guy, which he did. Don't get me wrong. But he, if there was one guy who over-delivered and who defeated every expectation any pundit had, maybe not every pundit, maybe some, you know, illuminated members out there got it right. But I don't think anyone was like, yeah, Nichols is going to have a, he's going to have a, you know, hell of a performance. Jesus. He was outstanding. And straight out the gate, you know, bleeding from the forehead, dropping Hinari on his fucking, <laughs> his match with Ishii was excellent. And on the flip side, you know, for, you know, positive surprises, but there's also bad surprises. I think Alex Coughlin was a disappointment. And here's a guy, entire when he cut that promo at the press conference, uh, I was completely sold. I was, okay, this is the guy I want. I want Alex Coughlin to win this tournament. Great tale of hardship, and it was sincere, passionate. There was a lot of resentments that were coming through here. You know, he even let us understand, he made us understood that he's only there because Ozzy Open, you know, hit the bricks. And that created an opening that they were, that they took. So I'm like, isn't this great? And I was really, really rooting for him. And then I thought he sort of fell flat. Don't get me wrong. He's a big, strong dude. He, you know, he, he did his feats of strength, but otherwise I thought his, his G1 was very flat. You look at Gabe Kidd, his tag team partner, uh, Kidd made, Gabe Kidd made the most out of every single minute he had in that tournament. And I don't think Alex Coughlin did. And I, I was a little disappointed. So that surprised me. Coming out of the gate, I was expecting the complete opposite. I was expecting a Mikey Nichols run out of Alex Coughlin, if that makes sense. Hikaleo... His final run, of I think, shocked just about everyone. <laughs> I think everyone was surprised. Uh, talked about it enough on the on the the the, the, the daily uh, the daily recaps, but uh, look, my, my stance on Hikaleo doesn't really change though. Like, I'm not suddenly seeing I'm not seeing you know superstar potential out of him. Not, I'm not you know it's not like suddenly oh man, you know, people are like oh he's finally putting it together. He's 32 years old. Like I, uh, this I talked about on the, uh, you know, on the recaps. 
I feel like a lot of people think because he's Tamatanga and Tangaloa's little brother that he's like, you know, 23 or something like that. And he's, he's 32. Like he, if you haven't put it together at this point, pal, you know. So I still don't know how much more mileage you can get out of this because his story was very well booked for the, the final leg of the tournament. I thought it was, you know, it, it got compelling and got surprising. Like everything sort of started to fall into place. And I enjoyed it. Not gonna lie. I just don't know how much there is in all of this. Some good stuff on top of it all. A few talking points. Um, Will Ospreay had a phenomenal G1. I, like, to, for me, he is the wrestler of the tournament. I, no one in this tournament was so consistent as he was in having great to excellent matches. Bringing the best out of everyone. Got a good match. Got the best match of the of Kenta's entire tournament. Dragged that out of him. Kenta worked a Will Ospreay paced match. He, he, Kenta put on his working boots for that one and then, you know, sent them back home after that was done. But just a phenomenal G1 right down to his match with Tetsuya Naito. And that is, that will be the one of the most memorable things I will forever remember in pro wrestling. When you have Tetsuya Naito in the ring, his bell is rung. He's, he's stumbling over himself because he can't string offense together because he, he's taken too many shots. And Will Ospreay is, is bringing him up and you can hear him calling the audibles. Naito-san, get up Naito-san, let's do it, one more move, one more destino, come on Naito-san, you can do this, and I am, I am stunned, and it's not, he's not giving him orders, you know what I mean, like he's not saying, come on, get up, no, he's, he's egging, he's not even egging him on, he's, he's encouraging him, he's giving him a pep talk, it's like, you can do this, man, and we are in the prime of a fantastic main event. One of the best matches of the tournament that just got better because of that. And Naito does a destino. He, what am I saying? He can't do the destino. Will Ospreay does the entire thing for him. Lifts him up and it's phenomenal. There is very little you can tell me to convince me that Will Ospreay is not the greatest pro wrestler on earth right now. There is very little you can say. Because that was phenomenal. Everything that this man did throughout these three, four weeks of tournament wrestling was extraordinary. And that just capped it off in the most beautiful this is why I love pro wrestling these are one of the reasons why I love pro wrestling you see stuff happening you understand the mechanics and whatnot but then you can still be enchanted and enthralled and and overcome by seeing these guys doing moves and shit that you've seen millions of times and yet this moment this very specific moment this thing where one guy, he's not keeping up. He got his bell rung. Well, we didn't 
call a timeout. We didn't move the camera away. Naito's like, no, 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 not as Osprey's like, come on, Naito, you can do this. I'll help. Destino, destino, one more destino. Tetsuya Naito better send Will Ospreay a gift basket for Christmas this year. Naito was far from being a slouch, don't get me wrong. That's probably the thing that I'm going to remember most out of this tournament. It is just phenomenal. Naito's playoffs were fantastic. We talked about it. Imagine there were, there was people, there was people in my DMs, in my Discord, in my haunts, trying to tell me, Tetsuya Naito, oh brother, he's washed. People trying to tell me that the Stardust genius was done. Hit the bricks. Kazushiko Okada, still a master at this. I mean, he's the guy. Like, there is nothing I want more than a clear passing of the torch from Okada to Yoda Suji. Suji's the guy. Suji's the guy. We all gotta come to grips with this. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we understand that Yoda Suji is the, is the guy, uh, the, 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 the sooner we'll be able to just move on with our lives and, and, and live happily ever after. Zack Sabre Jr., you can't count this guy out. Look, this, this, is, this guy is a, like, he's a, you know, he's a genius at, at this stuff. Like, he's a genius because this is a guy who has, who has painstakingly perfected all the elements of, you know, British style and, 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 and submission work. MMA, you know, bringing all, you know, grappling, bringing all of this together, putting it into a package that ends up being not boring. And I, I don't think, like, he has never been this good. And he has never been as much of a master of the craft as he is today. Because he gets it all. He gets the showmanship. He gets, he gets, you know what you're getting out of a Zack Sabre Jr. match, but he always ends up surprising you. His matches, I don't remember the last time where I was like, ah, uh, here we go, uh, you know, another Sable grapple, uh, another Sable, Sabre grapple match. I'm like, all right, it's fucking Zack Sabre Jr., let's go. Unheralded for how fucking good this guy is. You know, Mikey Nichols was a standout. Gabe Kidd was a standout too. You know, I know a lot of people were annoyed. Oh, he's always, it's always the same entrance. It's always the same thing. Who cares? Like this, I can't in good conscience on one hand tell you I'm sick of the Ujiro types who come in and just, you know, clock in, clock out and don't dive into the G1. It's the fucking G1. What are they doing? I cannot in good faith 
give you that type of analysis and then turn around and say, oh, Gabe Kidd does too much. No, 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 no. Gabe Kidd does exactly what everyone in this fucking tournament should do, and that is chomp at the bit. There were a lot of young guys here, a lot of them, in all of the blocks, and they all, outside of Alex Coughlin again, outside of Coughlin, they were all chomping at the bit. And Gabe Kidd made the most of every second he was on television, every friggin' second, from the minute he stepped through the curtains to the minute he got out. Maximized. We understand Gabe Kidd's character. We understand who he is. Now, there's always this that's going to be looming because he's, he's insane. He's nuts. He's nuts. He's unpredictable. He's vicious. We don't know what he's going to do. I completely sold. And if he's using his, you know, past issues that he's had, you know, on social media and his mental health and all that to, to, to fuel this, good for him. Like, use a very, I think it's okay to use a very dark moment of your life to push forward. I am excited for the future of Gabe Kidd. Probably something that I wasn't necessarily the case two years ago. I was like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. But the pandemic hit us all in different ways. And I kind of regret it, having these thoughts about him. Because ultimately, it, it's paying off. He's dusting himself off. And he's getting, he, 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 he's, he's making the most out of it. He's not letting it slip by. You got to appreciate that. I was pleasantly surpri surprised with Eddie Kingston's run. Uh, I really wondered if he was going to qualify. But, you know, it became, at some point I felt it became apparent that New Japan was going to focus on their guys. So it was the same thing with Kaito, right? That, Kaito Kiyomiya. Um, that New Japan was going to focus on their guys. They don't owe Noah or, New, or AEW, you know, anything. It's their show. And if AEW and Noah aren't going to push to have their guys in the, in the, in the playoffs, why would they insist? Put your guys in here. Then, you know, Eddie Kingston, great to have. I thought, I, you know, I, I thought his, his tournament, his tournament was better than I expected. I like Eddie. I love Eddie, but it was very good. Um, you know, nothing wrong with him being in Japan, but he's not going to stick around in Japan for New Japan. He's going to go back to, to his boss, right? He's going to come back and wrestle in the United States. So, of course, push your own people. That just makes sense. Kimiya too. And I like I I thought he had great matches. I thought he I to me he dragged uh he dragged uh, uh the best match out of Sonata of the tournament. So I I've got nothing to say about him or his booking other than if if you have a problem with how Kaito Kiyomiya was presented and booked in this tournament it's not New Japan's fault <laughs> there's a, you should you should uh, 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 address your you should address your 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 angry letters to pro wrestling Noah care of Mark Pickering <laughs> no but I, you know again New Japan doesn't owe pro wrestling Noah anything. So, there you go. Now you, now he's going back. He's bringing Oiwa with him, who's clearly going on excursion, I guess. He's bringing Oiwa with him to Noah. Like, okay. So, is that relationship done? And 
But the, the you know, ultimately, the message that was sent here is that, look, your ace, and when I'm talking your, I'm talking Noah, your ace comes into our company where we say we have the best people in the entire world. Your guy comes in here and can't even beat our rookies, our literal rookies. Your guy can't beat them. Your former world champion, your GHG champion, cannot beat our rookies. That's what New Japan said here. And if Noah was okay with that, well, what does that say? It's not New Japan's fault. Again, New Japan has no reason to push Kaito Kiyomiya. Unless Kaito Kiyomiya does what he should do and defect, get the hell out of Dodge, because clearly his employer, his current employer, doesn't give a shit what he does. Doesn't give a shit how he's booked. He looks like a geek. It's ridiculous. Of course he's not going to beat Kazuchika Okada. You can't even beat Ren Narita. No, he beat, didn't he beat Ren Narita? Yeah, I think he did. Anyway. Tomohiro Ishiguro remains a stalwart. Probably the best G1 performer of all time, I would say. So consistent. Like for the, Another guy that you get into, you put him into a match and he's going to get He's going to get something very good out of you every time. And only one House of Torture wrestler throughout the entire tournament meant minimal nonsense. Cheers. I appreciate that. As far as some stuff that I didn't like so much, or they, you know, Kenta. I already talked about Kenta. And I talk about Kenta. I talked about Kenta quite a bit on the audio. And even in the preview. Let's say... Anyone who's excited for a Kenta match in 2023, I don't know what to tell you. You know, our local promotion here, NSPW, North Shore Pro Wrestling, is having their 15th anniversary. They're flying Kenta in to wrestle. I mean, it's cool, but I'm not excited at the prospect of a Kenta match. You know what I mean? It's cool that he's going to be here. He's coming in for this, for this big event, but... And Hiroshi Tanahashi, man, listen, there's been a lot of talk about next year probably being his last G1, and I would not be surprised. I, you know, if you want to talk about someone who's washed, and it's never been more apparent than here. He's, sh look, he pulled out uh, the big performance against Tetsuya Naito uh, on the final night of the block because it's the final night of the block. And he's up against Tetsuya Naito, two, you know, two of the greats. And so, you know, he put in the extra effort, but I don't know. He's probably going to start being phased out more and more. You know, the the era of the Ace of the Universe is, is absolutely coming to a close. And, and it's bittersweet because, you know, he's still around and he can still go, but not on the level that that he he he's renowned to go you know he'll probably have a couple of good matches great matches still in him but not as often not as much it'll be very interesting to see what they have set up for him for um wrestle kingdom and then what happens moving forward like at, on new year's dash very curious to see how that 
will go on. Would you like to know my top five matches of the tournament? Would you like to hear that? Well, I'm not giving you time to respond because I'm going to give them to you right now. Top five matches out of 31 matches, which I would consider to be five stars and over. 31. Is that a lot? I don't know. Am I too loose with the five star with the high scoring? I don't know. But there were 31 matches that I thought were are were worth consideration during this tournament, which is a lot more than last year. But here are the top five. Number five, Shingo Takagi versus Hinari on July 19. Number four, Kazuchika Okada versus Taichi on July 21st. Number three, El Fantasmo versus Will Ospreay, August 5th. Number two, Tetsuya Naito versus Kazuchika Okada on August 13, the finals. But my my favorite match of the tournament, my number one match, Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from August 12. God damn. Memorable, classic, great on every level. So, G1, 33, it's in the books. I thought it was good. Overall, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, again, if you watched even a couple uh, and... and, and my my daily uh, my daily recaps were of some use to you. I appreciate it. Let me know on top of that. You know that's the kind of feedback that I like to I let I love to get because look as creators it doesn't take much for us to be thankful and get excited. It's like okay this was useful. I'll probably do it again. It doesn't take much, but do let me know. Uh, and again, thank you for everyone who was there for the daily recaps. And uh, hope you all enjoyed the G1 as well. Let's try to get the next three topics done. Ten minutes tops each. Do you think we can do that, Warren? Do you think you can do that? Yeah, I think I can do it. But are you going to do it? Well, that's a whole other That's a whole other nine yards, pal. I make no guarantees, but I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, where are my notes? What's going on? Um, on April 8th, start that properly. On uh, on April 8th, uh, Endeavor released its uh, quarterly earnings. It had its quarterly earning call. And within the document, why am I bringing this up here? Well, because within the document, uh, they stated that the quote-unquote transaction to combine UFC and WWE within TKO Group Holdings, Inc., is expected to close in mid to late September 2023. So we're really on the cusp of uh, the merger happening and uh, and WWE becoming governed by TKO Group Holdings, which of course is a part of Endeavor. Ari Emanuel, the uh, CEO of Endeavor, said that uh, on top of that, that uh, cost-saving synergies were going to be on the way. That is, uh, that is corporate speak for uh there's going to be layoffs now immediately as wrestling fans we're all thinking oh are they going to start releasing talent um that's hard to say um because usually when it comes to and i say usually and i'm you know 
this is just out of me, you know, following stuff like this for years. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no prime expert on corporate mergers, but usually uh, when you do have, when companies do merge, uh, it is redundancies within the companies that get laid off. So, uh, you know, uh, positions that exist within two companies where well, you just need them in one, you know, so there's, you know, I think that these synergies he's talking about are mostly, have mostly to do with office staff. I think that's, that's essentially who's going to get hit the worst. Whereas, um, whereas essentially the, um, uh, you know, the talent might get slapped around a little bit. I don't know, but I feel like that's less of a given and it'll be more on the administrative office side of things than anything else. Um, the TKO board was also revealed to be, the, its composition was also revealed. It's going to be made up of Vince McMahon, who will serve as executive chairman. We knew that. Ari Emanuel, who will serve as CEO of TKO, which again is something we knew. We've got Egon Durbin, who is the co-CEO of Silver Lake. It's a private equity firm that specializes in technology investment. And he also just happens to be on the board of Endeavor. Nick Kahn will also be on this board. I think you've heard of him. Steve Coonan, who is a current member of the uh, WWE board. Jonathan Kraft, who, was, uh, who is the previous president and current board member of the Kraft Group, has nothing to do with cheese or other prepackaged foods. This Kraft Group specializes in holding sporting events. Also on the board is Sonia Medina. She is the CEO of Reach Resilience. It's a it's a fund, um, uh, a charity fund, I guess you'd say, to support vulnerable populations, including veterans, military families, and people impacted by crises and natural disasters. Mark Shapiro will also be on the board. He is the, that's a familiar name to you, it should. He is the current president of Endeavor. Carrie Wheeler, who is the CEO of Open Door Technologies, an online company that uh, buys and sells real estate. And Nancy Tellum, Executive Chairperson of Chief and Chief Media Officer, excuse me, of Echo, a media network company. So WWE still has one person to appoint to the board. I think, you know, it's interesting that Dana White is not uh, on the board here. You know, he's going to be in his UFC corner and he's, you know, he's not graduating anything anywhere. He's not on the board here. And a lot of people are wondering, well, is it going to be Triple H? Well, maybe, but then again, why would it be Triple H? Then again, you never know. WWE still has to appoint one person. Still have a few weeks to do that. Uh, we've also learned that TKO's headquarters will be on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, which is the current locations of IMG Worldwide, which is a company which is also owned by Endeavor. The H quarter, the H quarters, the headquarters. For a WWE will still be in Stamford, Connecticut. UFC H, H quarters. Why am I saying H headquarters? Will still be uh, in Las Vegas, where they currently reside. Um, as far as the shares go, just to clear something up, because this was a question that a lot of people were having. Vince McMahon will own about 16% of TKO. Um, and that will correspond to the same percentage of votes that he will have in the company. 
uh, as expected, there will no longer be any Class B shares within the company. You will recall these are the shares that would give Vince McMahon 10 times the voting power, even though he owned less shares. He owned B shares in the company, which gave him stronger voting power. There's no more of that. So Vince is on equal footing with everyone. He has 16% of the shares. No more having 80% of the votes and allowing himself to elbow his way back into his company. No more of that. So that'll be interesting to see how things keep coming together, but we're starting to see like the, you know, the structure is there. These are fucking long documents that I didn't read and it's entirely like this thing is like 700 pages. You know who read it though? Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. You should go give him a, a, a big old follow on social media. Subscribe to WrestleNomics Patreon. One of the best follows you can do if you enjoy the business of pro wrestling as well as the creative side of things. Um, no one does it like Brandon. And uh, thanks to his analysis, I'm able to uh, I'm able to, to summarize it here. Um, so, you know, we're getting into entirely new waters again, just like a year ago when we were entering new waters with Vince McMahon no longer being in WWE. Vince McMahon is going to be in charge of TKO. And uh, I guess a lot of people are, again, uh, very uh, encouraged at the idea that uh, Vince will you know, no longer be on the board of WWE, but in the board of TKO. So they assume that he won't be involved in creative anymore. But to that, I just go, oh, please, folks, don't do this again. Don't do this again. Just let it go. See what happens. I had so many. You have no idea how many people were telling me Warren Vince is not coming back. They were telling me this last year. And then when he started to come back, and I was telling you, look, he's coming back. And I said, no, he won't. He, all he's going to do is pilot the transaction and be done. I said, if you guys, th-, and I remember, I was telling you all. I was telling you all. If you thought Vince McMahon if, was coming back just to pilot the sale and then go home and retire, cash a check and go home, you do not know Vince McMahon. You are new here. Welcome. Let me walk you through what's going to happen here. Vince McMahon is going to muscle his way back in and he's going to find his way back into creative. And guess what? Guess who was right? Guess who was right? Not the oodles of people who would DM me saying that I got it all wrong. Anyway, That's what we'll leave it at for the uh, uh, for the uh, TKO stuff. I'm gonna do a couple of previews of some. There's you know there's a, a couple of a couple of big shows this weekend. Where at least you know it's a busy weekend for pro wrestling. If, if you're into the kind of stuff that I'm into, uh, there's uh, there's two shows that uh, that we're going to be re- previewing here. The first of them, uh, the first of both of them is going to be the All-Star Junior Festival USA 2023, which is the uh, the big uh, show being put on by New Japan. They did, uh, they did an All-Star Junior Festival earlier this year. I believe it was in, I want to say, oh, look, I don't remember. It was March or May. I can't quite remember. I think it was in May. 
And now they're doing one in the United States, in Philadelphia. It's going to be held at uh, at the 2300 Arena, former ECW Arena. Uh, it's being put together by Hiromu, Hiromu Takahashi and Rocky Romero. Whole bunch of people that have been announced for this show from, uh, from the usual suspects that uh, seem to collaborate, but a lot of people flying in from Japan to be a part of this. New Japan Pro Wrestling... On their end are bringing in Bushi, Clark Connors, Duki, El Desperado, Francesco Akira, Hiromu Takahashi, Kevin Knight, Kosei Fujita. Uh, we also have um, we also have Master Wato. Uh, Robbie Eagles is coming in as well. Rocky Romero, Taguchi, the DKC from uh, from the New Japan Dojo, TJP, Yo, Yoshinobu Kanemaru as well. That's just from the New Japan side. All Elite Wrestling will be sending over Matt Seidal and Nick Wayne. CMLL will be sending Fugaz and Soberano Jr. DDT is even in on this, sending Mao over. That's pretty exciting. Dragon Kid and Shun Skywalker from Dragon Gate. GCW is supplying Blake, Christian, Jack Cartwheel, Jordan Oliver, and Starboy Charlie. Impact Wrestling has Alex Austin, Alex Austin, Ace Austin, Alex Shelley, there you go, Chris Bay, Mike Bailey, and Rich Swan. Ring of Honor is bestowing upon our Grateful Crown's cheeseburger. Casey Navarro is going to be in on this as well. Lowrider and hang on to your hats if you haven't heard this. Real one formerly known as Enzo, formerly known as Enzo Amore. Which is a little bit of a disappointment. Enzo Amore, who once re once released from World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, got interviewed on the spot by TMZ, and once did say with conviction and aplomb, that he would never return to pro wrestling. That no one would ever be able to pay him the money for him to return to professional wrestling. Oh, how the turns have tabled. Now, people are surprised about this, but he and Rocky are, yeah, they've been trying to slip you know, Enzo into stuff for years at this point. You remember the G1 Supercard? Remember that? They've been doing this for a while. And he and Rocky, I, I, I think they're tight. I think they're friends. It's either that or my, my outstanding theory is that Rocky was waiting for someone to confirm. He had got, you know, he called someone and he was waiting for that person to give him a call back and it never came in, and now we're like a week before the, uh, we finally make it to the week before the event, and, and and then he's like, okay, they're not confirming, and then maybe Enzo is his plan B, his plan C, fuck his plan D. Enzo, I got a spot for you, and Enzo's like, he does that stupid fucking dance, you know. I'm gonna tell you, I am not excited to watch a pro wrestling show with Enzo and Morion, I have been a fairly adroit at uh, at avoiding Enzo in uh, in my wrestling programming. So anyway, this is 
These are the matches. I'm going to just refresh this just to make sure we're all up to date. There we go. These are the matches that have been announced so far. First of all, we're going to have an All-Star Junior Festival four-man tournament to win the uh to win the uh, uh to win the tournament huh? right and the four men participating uh in, there's going to be uh, in two blocks kevin knight and clark connors in the first bracket i should say and francesco akira and mike bailey in the second oh that's gonna i'm really excited for that i'm really looking forward to francesco akira and mike bailey so uh, that should be dope, and uh, that's all going to happen on the same evening. So we're going to get the uh, basically the semifinals and the finals. Uh, we're also going to get uh, Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne versus El Desperado and Mao. And I don't think anyone should sleep on this match because this is going to rule. I think this is going to be fantastic. And the times where where we made fun of Jordan Oliver, I think, are done. I think he has grown into a a very good professional wrestler. I I was on I was on board with the Jordan Oliver Stings train for a while, but brothers proved me wrong. I got to give him credit. He's developed into uh, something good, and he's there with his bro Nick. This should be a lot of fun. Um, Hiromu Takahashi. Rock and Rocky Romero will be taking on Blake Christian and Master Wato and Dookie and Low Rider in a triple threat tag team ladder match for the Philly Cheese Steak Cup. I don't know what that is. It's a ladder match, so I'm already very less interested in it. Um, we don't see a lot of matches, uh, ladder matches in New Japan, which is one of the things that make me very happy. Um... So, I don't know. A lot of guys I like here. Wato, Doki, Takahashi, Romero, Blake. Going to get acquainted with Low Rider. Not, can't tell you I'm super familiar with this work. So, that's always fun. This is what these shows are for. Matt Seidel and Yo will be taking on Bushi and Shun Skywalker. That should rule. You kidding me? Matt Seidel and Shun Skywalker in the same ring? That's fun as hell. We're going to get a six-man tag. Rich Swan Taguchi and the DKC versus Jack Cartwheel, Starboy, Charlie. And this is where we're dumping the real one. Okay. Sure. And then we're going to have a lucky dip eight-man tag team match. What the hell is a lucky dip match, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did. The teams will be picked at random. You're gonna have all the guys in the ring, and they're all gonna put the, the remaining people that I haven't uh, that, that haven't been booked specifically. They're all in this match, and they're going. To, they're all gonna be, uh, uh, and they're all gonna be in the. Um, they're all gonna be in the in this match, and they're all gonna be drawn randomly from within the ring. Apparently, everyone's coming to the ring, and then they're pulling out names. They're making up teams randomly. It's, it, yeah, lucky dip. Eight-man tag team match. Lucky dip. Lucky dip. It's a wild night. Like, there's a lot... Look, there's... There's a lot of stuff happening here, but, uh, you know... St yeah, but there's too many talented people on this mat on this show to not be a fucking blast. And I'm telling you, that tag team match, 
Despe and Mao versus the East West Express, that's going to rule. I'm really excited for that. Really excited for that. And to answer a question from the chat, no, this is not covered by one's New Japan World subscription. Let me take a look here. It is a pay-per-view. And uh, it is available. This is happening, by the way. I don't think I even told you. August 19th. Did I say it was this weekend? It's this Saturday, August 19th. Um, and uh, early start, 6.30 p.m. You, uh, I, you know, I'm down for that. Uh, 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 3,500 yen, which is about $24.30. So it'll set you back a little bit. But it, it, sh it should look good. I will be reviewing it next week on this very podcast. And to wrap it all up, we are going to preview the other show that's happening this week and the other big show that's at least captivating my attention, which is the Impact New Japan co-promoted Multiverse United 2 for whom the bell tolls, Multiverse of Matches for whom the bell tolls, Multi-Matches tolls for the bell which is happening this Sunday. Again, from the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You see what they're doing here. They're, they're synergizing. Frankly, look, frankly, I think it's cool as hell that, um, I think it's cool as hell that Impact, that New Japan has good outstanding relationships with Impact and this dates for, well, you know, it, it cooled. They had, the, the relationship had cooled for a while, but then it, you know, it, now it's better. And we've got good relationships with AEW as well. So with uh, New Japan, I think that's cool. I, mean, I like me my New Japan. More of this, please. Um. So, uh, so yeah, this is happening. Let's run through the card. We got two pre-show matches here. Joe Henry, Yuya Yumera, and Heath will be taking on Rocky Romero and Taguchi and Master Wato. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, Yumera, Yumera picked his camp. He's, he's on, he's on Team Impact. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> or he'll turn on Team Impact. We'll see what happens here. So many people are convinced that Yuya Yumera is not, never ever going back to New Japan. I'm, I'm not ruling that out. I'm real. Maybe there was for a while, but I'm not ruling that out. Then Kenny King will be taking on Yoshinobu Kanemaru for the Impact Digital Media Championship. I would love nothing more than Uncle Nabu, Uncle Nobu, I should say, to win the Impact Digital Media Championship. That would be a riot. He probably doesn't want the title, but it would that's what would make it funny. And then on the main card, we're starting off with a scramble match. Good old-fashioned scramble matches. And we're putting Bushi, Chris Sabin, El Desperado, Frankie Kazarian, Kevin Knight, um, Mao, and Rich Swan, and all of this. Okay. No, no, it's a scramble match. What do you want from me? Um, Doki versus Sammy Callahan in a singles match. This is absolutely impact wrestling. This is Scott Demore calling up Ghetto. He says, Ghetto. How you doing? This is Scott Demore. Gato says hello. 
Scott goes, hey, Gato, I want to put Sammy Callahan on, uh, on the multiverse show. Gato says, that is fine. Scott Demore says, but uh, I want, uh, I need Sammy Callahan to win. Do you have someone for me? He says, yeah, I, I got, Gato says, yeah, I got someone for you. <laughs> hey, tell me I'm wrong. This is like, this is what it is. Sammy's on the card. He has to win. All right, have him fight Dookie. There you go. And we have a tag team match. Leo Rush and Trey Miguel versus Hiromu Takahashi and Mike Bailey. This has all the potential to be a fucking barn burner. I am so stoked for this match. Strong women champion, women's champion, Julia in North America. In the four-way match against Diana Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, and Momo Kogo. Um, my only issue that I have with this match is that it's a four-way match and it bums me out. Um, you know, you guys know this. You have it, just have your fucking tag team matches, uh, your, not your tag team matches, but your championship matches be one-on-one. -on -one. Now, what's exciting here is Julia's in North America and this is one of the first like it's impact, right? But this is one of the first exposures that you'll have to a North American audience. And I am sticking to my guns on this one. I think the moment that mainstream pro wrestling, pro wrestling fans see Julia and they see what she looks like, how she carries herself, which is like a star, by the way, and how good she is in the ring, uh, she is an instant star. This is a made woman in North America the minute people start realizing how good this, how good she is. I expect her to retain here. I fully expect her to retain as long as Mercedes Monet is out of action because that was the match, folks, and it still should be the match. The TMDK duo of Zack Sabre Jr. and Shane Haste will be taking on Moose and Eddie Edwards, and the fact that Shane Haste is in this match makes me feel like Moose and Eddie Edwards are going to get a pinfall victory here, and... Uh, okay, I, I, I've got nothing when it comes to moose matches. I couldn't care less. And then listen to this random ass match. Bullet Club versus the world. All right. Bullet Club team made up of Kenta, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors, and Dave Finley all make sense and will be, you know, Creating that connective tissue, right? With the new, with Dave Finley being the new leader coming over, seeing the North American contingent, you know. They haven't interacted with Austin and Bay yet, who were Jay White recruits. So, you know, all right, we'll see how this happens. So, Bullet Club versus, and who is on the world team? Who is representing the world? Well, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, accompanied by El Fantasmo, the DKC. Josh Alexander and PCO. This is literally a an online match, an online when you're playing online, you do an online match playing a video game. You know, 2K, Fight Forever, Pick Your Poison, Fire Pro, and everyone just hits random. This is that's what the world team is. 12 man tag team match. Okay. I mean, 
My expectations are very low, but we'll see. And the main event is Alex Shelley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. If there's one guy who know who will know how to deal and work with Tanahashi and Tanahashi with 2023 Tanahashi, it's uh, Alex Shelley. And this is a big match for him. And I'm thrilled for him. And I'm sure it will be good at the very least. But, I, you know, again, I'm not... I'm not hedging any bets on how great it's going to be. Look, I like generally impact pay-per-views. I know this is not specifically like, the, you know, it's cross-promoted, but, you know, there's a lot of impact influence in this. You can feel it. There's a lot, you know, there's a couple of matches I'm looking forward to. I'm more excited for the uh, for the um, the All-Star Junior Festival. But, I, you know, typically I like... Impact shows, so I'm, you know, trying to keep a good vibe here going, but uh, I feel like one is going to outclass the other. But I'll be reviewing this next week. Don't worry, I'll be here. And this as well is available uh, on uh, on pay-per-view. Call your, your, call your satellite providers, etc., etc. And that, ladies and gentlemen is how we are going to end the weekly wrestling inspection. That's right. We're wrapping it up. It's time to say, to bid you adieu, as the other guy would say. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out here tonight live on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Just as a reminder, we, I record the podcast live in front of a live audience, a live chat, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you ever want to make it here, you want to come hang out and have a good time. You know, we have community events and stuff like that, Q&As and things that don't make it to the final podcast product just for people who pop in. So that's always a good time. So be sure to come and join us. That would be, a, we'd love to have you, 7 p.m. Tuesdays. Otherwise, I will be back. When was that? <laughs> My voice trembled. I will be back uh, this Thursday for uh, my AEW Dynamite review. Uh, Sunday for the Collision review. Consider leaving a like. Consider subscribing. Consider a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating on Spotify. Whatever type of love you can show, I will appreciate a great deal because it does help grow the podcast. But listen, in the meantime, I hope you all have a great rest of the week and I will see you next time.